and uh, in Luke chapter 1 verse 67 and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied saying blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The story that I will bring before you tonight, the message, the sermon from Zacharias is all around the birth of John the Baptist and of course what would come after that just a few months later as we'll see in our text. Uh, John's father of course is Zacharias, his mother is Elizabeth. Both of them were well past the age of childbearing when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he was a priest. He was serving in the temple. I've often thought, as I do so many times in looking at the biblical narratives, that I'm sure Zechariah's day began that day just like any other day. He got up. He went to the temple. He was doing his business. People came around. He was over the incense. That was quite a big job. And suddenly, his routine was interrupted by the appearance of the angel Gabriel. And the angel said to him, verse 13, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I've always liked Gideon's introduction to this message. He said to Zechariah, your prayer is heard. Your prayer is heard. Now, it's not going to be long before the angel is going to strike Zacharias mute so that he was not able to speak until the baby was born. And the reason was because he didn't believe the message that was told him. Uh, let me just give you a piece of advice. If a shining sun of light, one of the angelic seraphims ever appears to you to give you a message from God, don't say, I don't believe you. <laughs> I don't believe this. How can this happen? I'm not, don't show any lack of faith if God goes to all that much trouble to get you a message. But that's what happened to Zacharias, and so he was mute. But it's just intriguing then that the angel would say, your prayer was heard. Now, do you think that Zacharias was still praying that prayer? I don't think so. I think this was a prayer Zacharias had prayed long ago. Maybe he had prayed again and again that his wife could conceive a child again and again for years. But the hope of that had long since died. It wasn't in his heart at that time, but it was still there in the mind and plans of God. I'm afraid that uh, too often we give up on a prayer if we don't get an answer in five minutes. But uh, this was many, many years before when Zacharias had prayed this prayer and the angel Gabriel said, your prayer was heard, your prayer is heard. 
Sometimes just because God delays doesn't mean that he's said denied. Well, this would have been a well-recognized sign when Zechariah came out and he couldn't speak. After all, God had struck the prophet Ezekiel dumb and he could only speak when he got a message from the Lord. And so uh, this was not an unusual thing, not an unheard of thing uh, for the children of Israel. They recognized it. Verse 21, the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he beckoned with his hands and remained speechless. And so it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And she hid herself for five months. That's about as long as you can hide it. She hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I can't explain that passage to you, folks. It's, it's just a mystery to me why she hid it for five months. But she did. I mean, they didn't have a gender reveal party or nothing. <laughs> nothing. Just, she hid it for five months. Well, along about the sixth month of her pregnancy, things, of course, couldn't be kept a secret. And it was at that time that the angel Gabriel was sent to deliver a message to another Jewish woman. This time, a very, very young Jewish woman engaged to be married, a virgin. She'd be told that she was highly favored and blessed among women. And certainly she was, for she had been chosen to be the mother of the Lord. The angel Gabriel also told her about Zacharias and Elizabeth. And as soon as things settled down in her spirit, of course, she made a beeline to their house. The Holy Spirit would work mightily in both of these ladies. And they both spoke some amazing words. I'm not going to preach on those tonight. Not that they aren't important. They're some of the longest messages that are recorded in Scripture from women. And uh, certainly important. We'll just use those on another Christmas Eve night in a time to come. But that's all brings us then to the message of Zacharias. It was then that Elizabeth came to full term and delivered a son just as Gabriel had foretold. It's a great time for us to remember tonight that God rules over the tiniest details of humanity, even in conception. It was a boy who was born, just like God said. Do you understand why I say that, yes, God rules over even that detail? Yes, he does. The boy was born. Zachariah couldn't speak, of course. So Elizabeth steps in to say his name will be John. People argued with him. And, and John wrote it down. His name will be, or Zacharias wrote it down. His name will be John. They all marveled, verse 63. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, praising God. And then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. I bet they were. I bet they were. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? 
and the hand of the Lord was with him. Zacharias, you see, was well-known, well-respected, faithful priest, married to Elizabeth, unable to have children, finally able. It was an amazing series of events that brought John the Baptist into the world. But as we see then Zacharias standing there with his baby boy, the Bible says in verse 67 that he was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Don't think that Zacharias was talking about his baby boy. He was not. Zacharias knew that in the plan of God, you see, his son, John, would give his life and spend his life in the service of the one who was to come. Zacharias knew that Mary was already about three months along. He knew, he knew that God had visited his people. Now, he had a message for his son in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's kind of a difficult thing for a a proud daddy, especially one who had waited so long to have kind of put aside the message of his son in order instead to speak of the message of the Messiah. But it was almost as if God had saw to it that not only would John spend his life saying he must increase, but I must decrease, but even here at his birth, His father was showing that same role. It was the Messiah that Zacharias would spend his time talking about. And as he does so, we're going to just look very briefly at a few of the things that that he talked to us about. First of all, there's that great message of visitation. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. You see, humanity couldn't go to God to visit him. God came to us. And from the hundreds and hundreds of characters that we know today that are built around this idea of of someone coming from another place, from another world, from another planet with incredible powers. I mean, how many stories do we have like that? And I'll admit to you tonight, I, I like Superman as much as anybody. But Superman's just a myth. But the story of the birth of Jesus Christ and who he was and what he was was not a myth at all. This is the story, you see, of the Son of God who came down from heaven. And this was a claim that Jesus made of himself three times in one chapter in John chapter 6. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him that sent me. Jesus really did have miraculous power. He turned the water and the wine. 
He knew what people were thinking. Wow. He could walk on water, calm storms, heal all kinds of diseases, make uh, incredible amounts of food out of snacks. Even raised the dead and called his own resurrection from the dead and then did it. See, the story of Jesus is real. It is a story that Jesus is God in the flesh who came down from heaven to reveal God to us and to fulfill God's promise of Emmanuel, God with us. The visitation. Then there's the redemption. He has visited and redeemed his people. Years later, the Apostle Paul would use his inspired uh, pen to write this description in verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. The whole concept of redemption was set under that Old Testament principle of, of debt. And the fact is that under the Old Testament law, if you owed a debt that you couldn't pay, they repossessed you. And you then were required to serve your creditor until all of the debt was paid or until the year of Jubilee came. When all of those debts were forgiven and they got to start over. Imagine then to be in that situation where you owed a debt that you could not pay. That you could be redeemed. Someone then could pay it for you. In our case, the debt was created because we had all sinned against God. Redemption meant that God would forgive the debt. Which is only the person who is owed the debt can do. If you have a debt tonight... It would be real easy for me to say, I forgive you that debt. It would be real easy for me because there's not a person in this building or watching from home that owes me any money. Not a bit. But you see, it's meaningless for someone to forgive a debt if you don't owe them. Only the person who is owed the debt can forgive it. It's what makes redemption so personal because, you see, we owed God a debt. We had sinned against him. And that debt was paid in full by Jesus Christ when he died on the cross of Calvary. It is a message then, not only of visitation, but it is also the message of redemption that he has come to redeem us. Jesus lived that sinless life so he could die a sacrificial death and pay for our sins. The visitation, the redemption, the salvation. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Now, that uh, metaphor that is used, the horn of salvation, was one that the people of, of Israel would have been well familiar with. 
uh, it would generally refer to the ram's horn. And if you saw a flock of sheep, you know that uh, uh, they did not keep a, a whole lot of rams. If you see that big uh, animal out there among the flock, he's larger than all of the ewes. He's larger than all the lambs. And, and you look and he has those huge horns. You know uh, that that is the one who is strong. He's displaying then his strength and his very obvious power. What the Bible tells us then when God has raised up a horn of salvation, it is calling to us to examine how powerful this salvation it is. And the fact is that there might be many other ideas about salvation presented. There might be many other thoughts, many other concepts. But the only plan of salvation that works comes to us with the name of Jesus on it. That's the one that's powerful. That's the one that works. And he stands in as the one who is able to bring us salvation. He also tells us that this has been spoken. It has been announced. And it is still an announcement that we as God's people make today. Salvation in the name of Jesus. Three things the passage tells us that this salvation does for us. Number one, he says, it brings us deliverance from our enemies. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Not going to spend a lot of time here tonight other than to remind you that the Bible specifically says that the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And uh, so when we think about our enemies and how that God is delivering us, then let's think about that one. We think about the one who hates us, and certainly all of us have an enemy as God's people. And he not only hates us, but he hates everything that bears the image of God, that gives praise to God and honor and glory to God. Oh, that Jesus Christ offers us a salvation that frees us, delivers us from our enemies. There's mercy, verse 72, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, that is, his holy promises. The older I get, the more thankful I am for God's mercy. God's mercy is fresh and new every morning. Then lastly, he says, we are saved so that there is service without fear to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Reminded of what Moses said to Pharaoh so long ago in Exodus chapter 7. The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me unto thee, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Let's remember tonight that God's deliverance from our enemies and God's mercy upon us actually is designed then to free us to serve him without fear. Let my people go, that they might serve me let's remember tonight the obligation of this incredible season of this incredible gift that God has given to us when we talk about the visitation we talk about the redemption we talk about the salvation let's remember all of this gives us the chance to serve God without fear I tell you we've had a lot of things bring fear 
to us this year. A lot of frightening things that have happened. The enemies never really go away. The enemies of God's people, the enemies of the gospel, the enemies of God's truth never go away. There might be people who hate you. There might be people who hate you and hate me simply because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know tonight that no matter what they might try to do to us, what God has done for us is greater. What God has done for us is greater. It can't take away what God has given us. And so we can serve God without fear. We don't have to fear the Pharaohs of this world. We don't have to fear the enemies. We don't have to fear those who would try to squelch us, shut us down or shut us up. We don't have to fear them. Because we can serve our God without fear. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Zacharias preached a great sermon long ago. A prophecy that God gave to him on the day that his son was born. After nine months of not being able to talk. I kind of think we probably just got a basic bare bones outline of what he said. He might have said a whole lot more. He might have got fired up and kept going. But the Holy Spirit put down for us what we needed. And what a great message it is. The message of visitation. The message of redemption. And the message of salvation.